dealing with disagreement. Imagine for a moment that the Christian life is like a freeway, a big multi-lane road where there is constant movement forward. Along the way there are on ramps where new people are coming on. You will travel alongside other Christians for a time, but they may slow down or speed up and one day God will call them home and they will take their exit. Many of us have hopped on this freeway at different times. There are those who have been on this road as long as they can remember. There are those who are just learning to drive. And there are those who have traveled a great number of other roads before finding this one. One of the challenges faced in Christian community is that although we're all here in this moment on the road, that doesn't mean we're all exactly aligned. Even though you take a snapshot of the church today, it's only one moment in time in a complex web of relationships, history and trajectory. Like taking a, a snapshot of a pod of cars on the freeway. It's a trap to think that because you're here with me on this journey right now, that you have exactly the same experiences and convictions that I have. One of the perpetual problems for a church from the very beginning is learning to get along. Learning to be kind and understanding with people who share the same path and share the same Lord, but don't see eye to eye on all issues. Let's review three ways that the New Testament teaches us to deal with this disagreement as we travel down the road together. Firstly, heresy or open sin. The first is easiest to figure out. When contention arises on the part of unrepentant sin or false teaching called heresy, you kick the offender out of the church. Obviously, that's not where we start. We start with gentle encouragements, private discussions, and lots of prayer. The aim, wherever we fall into disagreement, is to win hearts to Christ. Sadly, in history, we can see many bad examples of this playing out including neglecting this important work altogether, or examples of being over-hasty and needlessly harsh with excommunication. So before we get anywhere near the hard consequences, we follow an escalating pattern pleading for their repentance. In this way, the disagreement is either resolved with repentance and restoration, or spiritual exile. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And just a note that heresy is when someone opposes or rejects a core tenet of the Christian faith, such as denying the divinity of Jesus or teaching that Jesus didn't have a real physical body. The second thing is the weaker brother. The next type of disagreement to crop up are matters of spiritual immaturity. This means that there is a brother or sister in Christ who is trying to serve Jesus faithfully, but they're convinced on extra-biblical teaching. 
Paul gives a good treatment of this issue in 1 Corinthians. He uses the example of someone who is convinced that food offered to idols is really truly dedicated to the idol god, and by extension, not good for Christians to eat. In this situation, the guy is wrong. Food offers, offered to idols is fine for Christian to eat because idols are nothing and God made the food. However, even though this person is in the wrong, Paul advises other believers to accommodate the weaker brother so as not to wound his conscience. What's more, Paul goes on to say it is a sin to show off your Christian liberty to the weaker brother. You might have the right under God to enjoy any number of good things and know that it is good, but if enjoying them is to the detriment of other believers, then we put these enjoyments aside for the sake of others. It's sacrificial love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 11 to 12, it says, By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. And also in 1 Corinthians, down in chapter 10, verse 23 and 24, it says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So, when these issues arise, the first port of call is to lovingly meet each other in gracious accommodation. Once there, then we lovingly show from the scriptures why we believe and act the way we do. We all like to think of ourselves as the stronger brother or sister in matters of conscience, but we should have the humility to suggest that we might be in the wrong. Even in areas where we are very confident about what we believe, how we should live, we should still be wanting to examine those convictions in the light of Scripture. What is there to lose? Either you'll be confirmed in the truth, or you'll have your beliefs adjusted to come closer into alignment with Jesus Christ. A win-win. I have had my scriptural convictions challenged over the years. I've moved from where I once was. I'm not proud of some of the things I used to say and believe, but it is far better for each of us to grow through our mistakes than to stay in comfortable ignorance. Now, it may be that you show from the Bible why somebody should believe as you do, but they don't get on board. You remain at odds over this particular topic. That doesn't mean you part ways. It means you accommodate each other. We show love by not forcing that person to forsake their conscience. It may be in time that they come around, but pushing and flaunting will only turn them off. An associated issue is when we are in conversation with others, we should refrain from shutting the other down when they talk about things or ideas that we disagree with. If our aim is to move our fellow Christian closer to Christ, then we need to make space for discussion and reflection. For instance, if someone were to say, you, should, you shouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols, it would be unhelpful to respond with, that's not true, you're wrong. Both of these things may be true, but they don't win your sister over. Instead, I would recommend saying something like, why do you believe that? Or, I'm not sure that's true. Can you show me where it says that in the Bible? I'm guilty of being slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to slam down the portacullis around my convictions. 
Yet this way of acting toward my fellow Christian is not conducive to growth, understanding and unity. I hope by God's grace that we may joyfully welcome opportunities to explore God's truth together. Thirdly, we have disputable matters. The last type of disagreement I wanted to cover is disputable matters. That is, things where the perspicuity, <laughs> perspicuity, I mean, which means clearness of scriptures, seems to give way to a mysterious opaque. I'll just say that again so that it's clear. This is the area where the perspicuity, the clearness of scripture, seems to give way to a mysterious opaque. It's not something where maturity is likely to clear up the issue. It's stuff where God's word is either silent or inconclusive. When disagreements arise over this stuff, the first thing we should ask is, is it important? There are a whole bunch of spiritual topics that are nice to ponder and try to logically fit the pieces together, but they may be unimportant, or at the least not important enough to cause strife and division. Paul writes to Titus, saying in Titus chapter 3, verse 9, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Stuff that is not clear in Scripture and has little to do to no bearing on our faith should be so far down the list of our priorities. And if the issue escalates to controversy and quarreling, if the issue escalates to controversy and quarreling, then avoid them. But there are other matters that are important enough to warrant our attention, but not clear enough to warrant allegations of heresy if we disagree. The classic one is baptism. Who should receive this sign? The scriptures have stuff to say on the issue, but it does not have a definitive answer that silences every objection. In cases like this, we are left to examine the scriptures, prayerfully consider the issue before God, and lightly hold on to the answer we believe to be true. We will find out the truth in due time, but in the meantime, it's not worth causing strife over the inconclusive. One temptation in the sea of different Christian denominations and sects is to suggest that almost everything is a disputable matter. Well, no. For starters, Bible-believing Christians share the vast majority of their beliefs in common, and when you get into it, you'll see that there are far fewer disputable matters than you think. It's easy to assert that that's just your interpretation on any doctrine. But this line is usually thrown out in order to shut down a line of discussion. When seriously considered in the light of the whole scripture and listening to historical wisdom, most issues can be sorted conclusively. The other temptation is to think that every that the very fact of disagreement is a problem. It is possible to have a loving, brotherly disagreement over a matter of faith or Christian living without it being an attack on the unity of the body. Iron sharpens iron, and the process of sifting one another's ideas in the light of Scripture is a natural part of church life. We see this in action in the Bereans, who sifted the teaching they heard in light of the Scripture. See Acts 17 verse 11. We work toward agreement through this process, but when this starts to cause strife or division, then we have a problem. And there you have it. Three ways we deal with disagreement. 
Because we're all different people who have come from different places and have different levels of maturity, we will inevitably run into issues. However, care must be taken to pursue love, unity and spiritual growth in Jesus Christ for his glory and our collective good. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And then later on in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. 